0: Remember, we said this several weeks ago, very few of us in here are stupid rich, right? Now, some of you may be. Great. Take me to coffee. I'd love to meet you. Most of us, though, are not stupid rich. Um, We're just average Joes getting by. A lot of us, based on the statistics that I know from our congregation, are paycheck to paycheck. Most of us in this room, if we were honest, don't even have a budget. Ah, We just kind of operate, right? And so when we talk about money... Sometimes it's weird, like there are some people in the room that when a pastor starts talking about money, they kind of get a little weirded out, and there's other people that understand it, that it takes resources to fund a ministry, to uh, do the outreach and all the different opportunities that we do from our compassion team, to turning the lights on. Some people understand that. doesn't matter which side you kind of lean to, I get it. And so here's my approach when I talk about money. I'm just going to shoot you straight and be as honest as I know how to be. I'm not stupid or rich, all right? I wonder what it's like, right? But I'm not stupid rich, but I just want to be honest in what I understand the biblical principles about money. Because here's the thing. This is a thing, a primary thing, money, that people typically fight over. It's something that typically keeps you frustrated or depressed. And so what does the scriptures say about this, uh, this green stuff that we keep in our wallets? or we used to keep in our wallets, now it's on a piece of plastic, right? And maybe you owe more than you got. And so what does the Bible say? I want you to, th- I want to start off this way, though, and I want you to think about someone in your life who is generous. Like, when you think about generosity, I want, you to, I want you to think of someone, all right? And so when you have that someone in your head, just kind of raise your hand and put it back down so I know that you're playing along, all right? And I want you to see them. I want you to see their face. I want you to see what they're like. And, and, and as you do, I want to talk about mine. This is one of the guys that came to my mind. His name is Garland. And um, Garland, that's his uh, two grandsons there, um, and Wyatt on the right, and James on the left. That's Gar in the middle. If you were confused a little bit, and Garland, those they're all Miami Hurricane fans, as I am. My wife graduated from there. Garland has been a season ticket Miami Hurricane football fan since 1977. Like you know how you see those uh, Fruit Loop Jayhawk fans? Maybe you're one of them. That have like that everything you have is blue and red. Or maybe the other school, right? K State, and it's purple and gray. Garland, green and orange. He's got the U tattooed on his body. Crazy, right? I worked for Garland for 10 years. And man, I'm telling you, he is one of the most generous people I've ever met. Hands down. I mean, just the things that Garland has done for me personally. I can't tell you how many breakfasts, lunches, and dinners Garland bought for me. When I moved to Florida, I was 23. When I left there, I was 33. And in those 10 years, I can't tell you how many meals this man, you look at us, we got to eat, right? We ate a lot of good food together. Garland bought me a bicycle one time. We were riding bikes. Garland even co-signed on a Trailblazer that I used to own. That's a whole other story. Garland helped me and my friend Charlton, two single guys, get our first townhome that eventually my wife and I bought from those two guys. Garland was extremely generous in how he helped me financially throughout my life. I can't tell you how many times that I've been with Garland in his pickup truck when we would go to another staff member's house or to a friend of his house and go by the mailbox, open the mailbox, and put in it an envelope with a few hundred dollars in it. Without a name on it, knowing who it came from, because he knew that they were on tight times financially, and he wanted to bless them without anybody knowing what was going on. I saw it. Made a huge impression. Now, that face that there of Garland, he's not posing for a picture. Now, he doesn't walk around like that all the time, right? But that's Gar. I mean, Gar is a happy dude. When I think of Garland, when I think of generosity, I think of happiness. See, wealth doesn't always lead to happiness, right? There's a lot of wealthy people who are miserable. But generous people, I'm telling you, I'm going to guess that the person that you thought of that was generous, not wealthy, but generous, probably had a smile on their face or they enjoyed blessing people. They tend to enjoy life. Now, here's the thing. It is my hope that one day, that one day when someone talks about generosity and some younger pastor and some future down the road stands up and says, hey, when you think about generosity, I want you to think about somebody. How cool would it be if somebody thought about you? How cool would... So here's the deal. Garlands are rare, right? Like there probably wasn't a sea of people that came to your mind when I said, think of somebody who was generous. Now, if I said, think of somebody that's grouchy, oh my gosh, we could talk all day about that, right? But generosity is rare because most people don't discover it because it is, so, listen, it is a muscle you have to work out. It is, a, it is a habit that you have to develop, but it is a habit that everyone, Garland is not rich. He's not stupid rich. He's stupid generous. And I'm telling you something, if I know anything about Gar, it's that I believe wholeheartedly that God can trust Garland with any type of money because I know Garland is going to use it wisely and graciously to those who are in need. Getting there doesn't happen overnight. How might you and I take steps towards becoming like Garland or becoming more like Garland? Because I do know that there are several generous people in this room. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about two things. I want to talk first about uh, those who are just starting or curious about becoming generous because you would identify yourself as not a generous person. Like, you would say, I'm probably not. I'd like to be, but I'm probably not. Well, I want to talk about why you should start being generous. Then for those of us who are already on this generous journey, I want to encourage us along the way. And then finally, I want to use an illustration that I did last year that I hope will pull this all together. So let's talk about the why for the newbies in the room. For those of you who would not identify yourself as a generous person, why in the world should you be generous? I want to start with a pop quiz. It's really, really easy. I know you didn't come to church for a test, but you're going to get one. One question. question is this. Do you think God needs your money? Yes or no? All right. Somebody cheated. I didn't ask you to speak out loud. I gave it away. No. Does God need your money? No, God doesn't need your money. Now, let's think about it kind of with a real heady, right, a theological mindset. If God needed your money to accomplish his will, that would mean that God was dependent upon you, which would then make you more of a God than he is. Here's the thing. God doesn't need your money. God's not up in heaven right now searching through the heavenly couch cushions looking for gas money. He's not doing it. God, the Bible teaches, has all. Not some. God has all. He's not dependent upon you or me for anything whatsoever. Now, if you're thinking that through, then you could say, Well, Matt, then why uh, are you talking about money? If God doesn't need my money to accomplish his will, to accomplish his purposes, then why in the world are you going to spend 30 minutes talking about why we should give? Great question. It's actually a really fair question. A pastor that I love named Andy Stanley says it like this. He says generosity is something God wants for you, not from you. God doesn't need your generosity. He wants it for you. Just a simple reason why it's important to be generous on the why is I'm telling you, you'll feel better. You will literally feel better about life and about yourself when you know that God is using you in the little or a lot that you have to be a blessing in somebody else's life. I have never in my 37 years ever given anything to anyone with a cheerful heart. Now, there's been times when I've begrudgingly given something. Come on. But those times when I've seen a need and I felt spurred by the Holy Spirit to meet that need, I've never walked away going, man, I should have done that. Even on the times when that money I known was used, to wh- I gave money sometime $1,200. Yeah, there's a whole conversation about marriage later when I told my wife this. To a couple, and I found out later this couple had a serious meth addiction. A year later, in the whole way home, I'm like, I cannot believe I gave them $1,200. But in that moment, I knew that I did the right thing. I can't help what they did with it. And I'm not even saying they did do that with it. But I started connecting dots, and I felt like kind of a foolish guy. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I was there in that moment. I saw a need, and clear as I know of anything, I feel like God said, here, you have it. You can bless them. And I gave them shelter for a month. Now, would I do it again for that couple, knowing what I don't know? Woo, God would have to make it clear. (laughs) He would have to make it clear. But at that time, I felt like I did what I needed to do. Generosity, I walked away from that, man, man, I did a good thing. It was a lot of money for the Miller family. But I feel like I did a good thing. But here's the second reason. And this reason is even more, more important than just feeling better. Is I want to look at what Jesus said in John chapter 5. Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. The Son, speaking to, about himself, can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, what? The Son also does. Let's continue that thought. Whatever Jesus does, if you like filling fill it in in blanks, whatever Jesus does, I also should do. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Therefore, whatever we see Jesus doing, based on our reading of Scripture and our understanding of Scripture, whatever we see Jesus doing, then we should also do that. This is even in our mission statement as a church. New City Church's mission statement is this, that we want to inspire people to trust in and live like Jesus. We want to inspire people to trust in Jesus for the salvation of their soul, but then also to live like him. That we would do what Jesus actually did. And if you don't know anything about Jesus, you probably would agree with this that he was extremely generous. Nobody thinks of greed or stinginess when they think of Jesus. You think of extreme generosity. All the way to the point where he would lay down his life on the cross for us, where he would give and give. I mean, the scriptures say that he didn't even have a place to lay his head, he gave everything everything that he had. Therefore, might we take steps towards that generous life as well. And the next thing I want you to notice is this. How did Jesus give? Did Jesus give because he was frustrated? No, he gave out of love. He gave out of love. So why should you begin this generous journey? It'll make you feel better, literally feel better. And two, Jesus did it. Now, why do I bring up Jesus at church? I don't know. Well, it's not as a dust statement as it might sound, Sometimes when you stand up here, I get to see all of your faces, and a couple of you will sleep on me, most of you are awake. Some of you checking Facebook. I know what's going on. I'm not stupid, all right? But unfortunately, I don't know what you think, and I don't know what you feel. And so I make a great assumption when I'm up here, and this is just important for you to know. I choose to see halos, not horns. I assume that the reason you're here is because you're trying to take greater steps to following Jesus, not to be convinced to follow Jesus. And so if you're here, I'm seeing halos, so therefore I'm speaking to you as I would if I was sitting around a campfire in my front lawn and we were talking about things of this life. I'm just going to talk to you about my understanding of the scriptures, specifically today about money, and the assumption that of course you want to know this because you want to follow Jesus quicker so that you can look more like Jesus, more like my buddy Garland than you currently do right now. I see halos, not horns. It'll make you feel better, and of course you want to be like Jesus now, what about those of us who have been walking or taking steps or trying to be more generous already? And here's the fun thing for the young people in the room, for their kiddos, for the college-age guys. This is not something that you do once you retire. I mean, if you could get generosity in your bloodstream right now, just in going through you, part of your natural DNA, it will p- p- position your life in a specific way that you will, never, uh, you will never be friendless. People will always love you. I'm telling you, Garland has an army of people who will tackle hell with a water pistol with him. I'm telling you. When Garland leaves the church, guess what happens? One church gets smaller and one church gets bigger. Dude, people love this guy, not because he gives them, but because of how he, man, I'm telling you, he's just a dude people want to be around. He's a righteous, righteous man. Let me encourage us, for those of us who are already walking towards generosity, I want to bring you to 2 Corinthians. In your bulletin, it says 1 Corinthians, but it's actually 2 Corinthians. We're going to start in chapter 8. Now in chapter 8 verses 1 through 9 Paul is going to speak to three positions, three groups of people. He's going to speak one to this church, he's going to speak about this church in Macedonia who was poor and struggling. Right, And I believe it's up here in chapter 1, and it says, For I testify they gave according to their means and beyond their means they did so voluntarily. Right above it, that during a severe ordeal of suffering, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty, they gave out of what little they had. Right, Some of us in the room are poor and suffering. The third position, or the second position that Paul speaks to, is he speaks to Jesus Christ himself. And he talks about how Jesus is rich, right? That although he was rich, he became poor so that we might become rich. So three positions. The first one, a people in Macedonia who were poor and suffering. The third position was the one who was rich and powerful being Jesus. And the second, the one in the middle, he's speaking to the church here in Corinth, the church that this letter that isn't addressed to in 2 Corinthians. And the Corinthian church was a people who were in the middle. They were not rich nor were they poor. They were kind of somewhere in between. They weren't suffering but they didn't have extreme peace either. And Paul is using Jesus and Macedonia as a comparison. So if you'll look with me in Second Corinthians 8, verses 7 and 8, Paul writes this. Paul says to these church people in Corinth, he says, but as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in all eagerness and in the love from us that is in you, make sure that you excel in this act of kindness too. I'm not saying this as a command, but I am testing your genuineness of your love by comparison with the eagerness of others. Let's look at just a few things from this short passage. Paul says, but as you excel, as you improve, as you grow, it is a position of forward, a position of taking more or growing in something. And he says, as you excel in everything. And then he mentions some very spiritual things, faith and how we speak in our wisdom, in our eagerness, and in the love, right? He says, as you excel in those things, look what he says here. "Uh, Also, make sure that you excel in this act of kindness too. T-O-O. That, hey, this act of kindness is just as spiritual as those other acts of kindness. Like sometimes we think giving or money is something that's just separate from church that funds or powers the church. No, 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 no. It is a very spiritual thing. Money's not the root of evil, but the love of money. And if we're not careful, man, we separate and we keep God away from our money and we want to do what we want with our money. And God says, no, I surrender all is the plea back to the people. And Paul says, as you excel in all these other spiritual things, like you want to try to pray more, maybe you're wanting to read your scriptures more, maybe you're trying to grow in how you serve the poor, I mean, your compassion, pick something that we're trying to excel in. And by the way, there should be uh, intentional, purposeful reasons in, in specific areas of your life where you're trying to excel to become more like Christ. In this act of kindness, too. Now, when he says this act of kindness, some of your Bibles might say this act of Grace. Some of your Bibles might say this act of giving, giving, this generous act of giving, this act of kindness that he is referring to, is the giving of resources. As he was speaking to in the church of Macedonia, and his reference to Christ, that this church in Corinth would be also excel in their generous act of giving. Two, right? So let's continue on in this. I think this next little scripture here says, I am not saying this as a command. Paul said, listen, I am not going to force you to give anything. Here's the thing. About, I love this about our church here. We're not going to force you to give. I'm going to talk about why you should and why I think it's wise, but I'm not going to twist your arm. And we, we talk about money some. We don't talk about money a lot. This is the first time we've talked about money or this series all year long. It's not, on the, it's not We do giving every weekend, but talking about it doesn't always happen. It's not a command, but it is a great idea. Here's a couple points that I want you to consider. Jesus doesn't force you to do anything. You need to know that. Jesus does not force you to give or to do any spiritual thing. Did you know that you could start cursing out in the lobby today, and Jesus is not going to slap you on the honey and tell you to stop? Now, we may, but uh, in the name of Jesus, Right. But Jesus is not going to force you to do anything. He's going to let you go about your life as obedient or disobedient as you choose to be. He's not going to force you. Read the scriptures. Jesus doesn't force anybody to do anything. And the second thing is this. Although he doesn't force you, he will consistently invite you to grow in your generosity. Man, he will invite you to grow not only in your generosity, but everything. That's why he says always to, in all times to all people, come and follow me. Hey, you, come follow me. Jesus is not stagnant. He doesn't stand in one spot and say, hey, everybody, gather around me. He says, I'm on the move. I'm going to excel and grow in so many things. You're more than welcome, church, to come and follow me as I go there. Because whatever the Father does, I also do. And we go, hey, yes, little people, if Jesus does it, maybe we should too. And so we follow Jesus, and we begin to excel in so many different areas of our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10. Paul continues. He says, it is to your advantage, which I think is a very interesting phrase, because a lot of times when we think about giving, it's for somebody else's advantage. Remember what I talked about earlier? It makes you feel better. You know that you're uh, being a blessing to somebody. Paul says that it is to your advantage, since you made a good start last year, both in your giving and in your desire to give, to finish what you started. Apparently, this church in Corinth had made a financial commitment. Many of you, a year ago, when we kicked off this MORE initiative, that funded so many awesome things, uh, like the church in Edgerton that is doing great, by the way, Improvements to this room, to our compassion ministry across the street and locally. Like several of you, several of you made financial commitments. Let me encourage you with the same words that Paul said. To continue, to finish what you started. So that just as you wanted to do it eagerly, you can also complete in according to your means. Man, don't give up. If you made a commitment, fulfill that commitment. That's what Paul is encouraging this church in Corinth to do. In chapter 9... He talks about Titus, the remainder of chapter 8, and he's kind of given a a little comparison. And in chapter 9, he says this. He says, my point is this. The person who sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. And the person who sows generously also reaps generously. Each one of you should give just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves what? Now catch that. God loves what? Come on, everybody. A A cheerful giver. Jesus doesn't force you to give. Like, here, let me, let me say this before we ever get to any kind of money talk or offering stuff. If you can't give cheerfully, we don't need it that bad. I don't want grudge, uh, uh, greedy money. I don't want grudging money. I want cheerful resources being given to a generous ministry. What's the tagline for this series? Generous people equals generous church. man. Give cheerfully. And if you can't now, then hang on to it until God tells you what you should do. But let's look at this. This is really important because Paul says, My point is this. Sometimes I wish everything was written like that. Just get to it, Paul. All right. My point is this the person who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. What you sow is what you reap. Catch this. What you sow, what you scatter, what you give is what you gather, good or bad. If you're like, man, Matt, I would would sow so much more if God would just bless me with more. Well, let me answer it for you real quick with a biblical principle. Why in the world would God trust you with more when he can't trust you with what you currently have? Why would God give you more when you are not trustworthy with what you currently have? Oh, but if I had a million dollars? No, you wouldn't. No. God said, I can't even trust you with $20. You think I'm going to give you a million? Man. What you sow is what you reap. Let's continue this. Paul then goes on to say, looking at that scripture, each one of you should give just as he has decided in his heart. It's a conscious decision. You should give as you have decided, not forced, but what you've decided in your heart that is what you should choose to do. Remember he said it's not a command, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Second thing, if you want to put this in your bulletin, your giving should never be hesitant or hurried. Your giving should never be hesitant, oh, I don't want to give it, or hurried, okay, hang on, hang on. No, it's a decision that you think about. It is an act of worship. It is an act of giving that you have thought through. And therefore, when you give that check or swipe that card or make that donation, however you choose to give, you do so with a cheerful heart. It's a decision that you have made based on your means. And the third blink is this. And this word has become a theme for me. I talk about abiding. I say, man, we're here on purpose. When I think about fasting, I say, I'm hungry on purpose. When it comes to giving, church, it's no different. We must always give on purpose. Always give on purpose. Made a conscious decision based on your means and based on where you are in faith, on what you feel God is asking you to do. Never, ever, ever again give accidentally. Never ever again give out of hurried or out of rush, but it's because you've thought about it, you've put thought into it, and when you give that check or you set up that automatic deposit or you do that text of giving, whatever it is that you do, you have done it so on purpose. Are you with me? I'm telling you, it's just a great biblical principle. Let's wrap up this scripture, this letter that Paul writes. Chapter nine, verse ten. He says, "Now God, who provides the seed for the sower and bread for food, will provide and multiply your multiply your supply of seed, and will cause the harvest of your righteousness to grow. You will be enriched in every way." Now, who's making? Real quick, don't don't neglect to see who's causing this to grow. Is it your effort? It's what God does. Look at it again. Now, God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for food, will provide multiple uh, will multiply your supply of seed, and will cause the harvest of your righteousness to grow. So there's something about your personal righteousness that happens when you're generous. It's just not about what you, what you give to or what you bless. There's, a, there's something spiritually, internally that happens in you. You will be enriched in every way so that you may be generous on every occasion. Whoa, notice that. As you are generous, we begin to show God that we can, he can trust us with more because he knows that we will be generous on what? Every occasion, which is producing through us thanksgiving to God. The more you give, I'm telling you, the more thankful you are when you receive. Ask my wife or ask anybody who drives with me what I say every time I get a close parking spot. Thank you, Lord. My wife will go, why do you always get them? I say, because I'm always thankful, All right? Now, it's kind of silly. It's kind of silly, but I have this thinking that I want to, I want to thank God, on the silliest things is getting a close parking spot, right? Paul says this. He says, which produces through us thanksgiving to God because the service of this ministry is not only providing for the needs of the saints. When you are generous, you're not only providing for the needs of others, but it is also overflowing with many thanks to God. A generous person is always a cheerful giver, and they're probably a person who says thank you a lot. A generous person is probably a cheerful giver who says thank you a whole lot. Thank you, God. That I'm able to do this. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, like, you, you don't take anything for granted. You realize the gracious gift that God has given us in so many fun things. Here's the principle. If I could sum up all of this, you've heard me say it a million times, but it's so true. You can never outgive God, church. You can never outgive God. You should try. You should try, but here's what I'll tell you He will not let you. Because if you were a bigger blessing than God, well, that person might think that you're God. God will not let you outgive him. He's way more generous than us. And we set our sights on him. Now, I want to I do an illustration that I, that I hope will tie um, all of this together. I gave this illustration a year ago. And after I did the giving at New City Church here at the Shawnee campus, which is the only one we had at the time, went from $7,000 a weekend to $14,000. Yeah. And, I'm gonna, and I, when we get to the step of why, I'll tell you why that is, okay? And you can be praying. I gave this talk at Edgerton last week. If you're wondering where I was, I was not on a cruise, right? Um, I, was, uh, I was in Edgerton. And um, this, is the, this is the generosity ladder. Now, if you, now, I'm speaking about this in the context of New City Church. And so I'm thinking through the lens, the context, the generosity of New City Church. And so if you've never given, if you've never given to New City before... You're way down here, which is fine, everybody starts here, as a first-time giver. Maybe you can see it, a first-time giver. Now, there have been hundreds of people, hundreds of people this last year who have been first-time givers towards New City Church Shawnee since last last, uh, April, last May, hundreds of people. And to me, that's a huge deal because that was someone taking, in my mind, a very spiritual step towards giving of all the places they could give, choosing to give it here. And it was sometimes small sums. It was sometimes big sums. Most of them, which I thought was the coolest, were consistent sums of money. But you only get to be a first-time giver one time. And once you're on this ladder at New City, you're on it. Now, the next step that many people, most people take, is they become an occasional, an occasional giver. Now, this, prior to last year, is where I would say the great majority of New City people, the congregation right here, Halos and horns. This is what people were. They were occasional givers, and I meet a lot of new people. We've had a lot of new people come to New City since last April, last May. And my assumption, and it's a good one, is most of us in this room are also occasional givers. Here's what I mean by occasional giver: when that offering bucket comes by you today, you're going to do this. Oh, hang on. What do I got? Because I haven't, you haven't thought through it, and you're, I don't have a wallet. I just have a gift card. Um, but, but, but pretend with me, right? And you're going to open your wallet, and you're going to say, okay, this is what I have. And then based on what you have and what you think you need, you're going to make a quick, hurried decision, and you're going to put probably a 20 in, right? That's what, that's what typically happens with an occasional giver, right? And if it's been a really good sermon like today, you might give 100, right? Come on, play along <laughs> with me, right? You, but you, may, you, you know, that's what you do. That's why Curtis has got courage. You need to get better. We got to get more money. I'm kidding, all right? So, but you know, it's, a, it's an occasional hurry. It's a hurry deal. It's a hurried thing, Right? And, and that's where a lot of our, our, our folks were. Here's, the, here's what I want to say, because you've been here today. Now, if you're me, real quick, let me say this, and you open up your fake wallet, I never have cash, and it's not because I'm married. I don't have cash because, um, or I have kids, I don't have cash because all of my money is on my plastic credit card. I don't, I don't have it to throw into the offering plate, and I'm not going to throw my credit card in there. That would be just kind of weird, right? <laughs> don't do that. We'll give it right back to you after we max it out. We'll give it back. But that... that but you're not going to get it from me, if, if I'm an occasional hurried giver, you're not going to get anything this particular Sunday because this gift card is for someone else. Right? Now, this is where a lot of times we live because it hasn't been thought out. Here's the next step. And when people last year, and my prayer is people this year, take this step, things drastically begin to change. And this is where you go from an occasional giver to a percentage giver. And I'm not identifying the percentage for you. I'm not identifying the percentage for you, church. When all of a sudden, when that offering bucket comes by, and every single Sunday, we take an offering, right? So if you've like been more here than, more than two times, you should see the rhythm, and it's usually at the end of service. Like, it's going to be after church today, after the teaching time. It's going to be the giving, and you're going to know it's coming, right? Now, today, you haven't, maybe most of us haven't been prepared, and so you don't know what to do today. But for some of us who have come in ready, because we just got paid on May 1st, maybe, or the last day of the month, Many of us who are percentage givers know that we are going to give X percentage of our income back to God. Remember what I talked about two weeks ago? If you haven't, go on and listen to it. God wants first in your life. He's not concerned with second, third, or last, or completely neglected. So whenever Matt Miller gets paid, there is a specific percentage before anything else, before Uncle Sam gets it, or before uh, Walmart gets it, or before like the church here where I worship, where I belong, they get first portion, that percentage, Last year, so many of you guys moved, took the step from an occasional hurried giver to coming in being prepared every week to give a specific portion of your money that it completely changed the financial dynamic of New City Church. Not just a little, guys, it drastically, and I told you a year ago, if we would take this step as a church, and I'm saying saying it to you again today, if for those of you guys who are here, would just be faithful in your generosity and move to this percentage and just come in prepared, it wouldn't just change. It would drastically change from 7,000 last year to almost 14 in one weekend. In one weekend, it did that because people were prepared. It wasn't because somebody was stupid rich and said, oh, I want to start giving here. No, 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 no. I love this about New City. Think about starting a church in Edgerton. There's probably very few people in this room, if any, that could on their own financially fund a brand new church plant. Right? You couldn't do it. I mean, the, the, the rent across the street on Arbor Square, let's use that one. Like, they don't give that to us for free. And so you can kind of get a good idea of what rent is. And could you, just your family, financially fund that for the entire year? Maybe, but very, very few of us could do that for the entire year. But what God does and what God did was he took a lot of insignificant funds insignificant, insignificant, on its own insignificant, and put them all together, and they become something quite significant. That allowed us in a year, may I remind you, debt-free, without owing any money to anyone, having money in our savings account, having money in our checking account as a church, and being able to fund our compassion ministry more than we've ever done before. We've been able to start debt-free the church in Edgerton. We've been able to debt-free do the apartment across the street that's for compassion and blessing of Arbor Square. All and, and this carpet in this room and next room and the room over there, all of the paint, all of the walls. Why were we able to do that? It's because people took a step to this. And I'm telling you, guys, God's not done. And I'm not casting out a new vision. I'm not casting out a new play. I'm not casting out, hey, here's what's next. But I'll tell you something there is a next at some point down the road. And how fun is it that when God says go, we can say woohoo! Not, hey, everybody gather around and give me your money. No. May we be prepared to continue to be a blessing to our neighborhood. But the ladder goes up, and some of you have taken a step towards this right here. becoming a. that's not going to hang. I'm going to do it right here. They put the wrong thing on there. See, God doesn't want us to talk about tithing. It's tither. <laughs> tither. Now, i got to speak to this because this is confusing for some people. The word tither literally means 10%. And I tell this story because it, I, want, I want this to connect for you. I'm not commanding you to do the tithe. I think it is a great biblical ideal. Some time ago, a lady emailed me and said, Matt, could you um, give me my, uh, my I, it was tax time a couple years ago, I need to know what I've tithed this past year. I said, okay, send it to her, it's $40. What's her tithe? Now, there's one of two things. Either she only made $400 that year, or she is misunderstanding what the word tithe means. I know this lady. It's number two. Okay? A tithe is 10%. If you made $100 this week, it's 10 bucks. It's not $9.50. If you give $9.50, that's not a tithe. And it's not bad, but it's not, don't say, hey, I'm a tither when I'm doing something less than the 10%. It's just education on what the word actually means. I think this is a great step to take. Now, notice I put it a couple of rungs above percentage because the truth is this. If you're going from an occasional giver straight to tithing, very few of you can realistically do that. Do I think it's a bad move? And would I encourage your faith to do that? Absolutely. I think God will come through for you. But I know that that might be hard for some of you in the room. And so there's steps that you have to take. Like, how do I go from no percentage to a specific percentage? And then how do I make my way? How do I begin to increase and to excel in this generous act of kindness that I can begin to get to the place where I trust God with 10% of everything I have? I think if you were to look in the scriptures on your own and do your own personal study, because this tithing conversation is much better when it's a conversation and not a presentation. Because I'm sure that you have questions and I would have comments. And I'd love to tell you my story in a setting where we could talk back and forth. And I'll be at the tables in the back after this if you want to talk about this issue. But this act of tithing is a generous act of giving where you put God first. I'm not going to tell you this morning that it's a command, but I'll tell you that it is an extremely great idea. It's not over, though. Let's see if this one will stick. It won't, but I have a little faith, right? It will. Extravagant giver. Extravagant giver is the direction that I pray everybody in this church takes steps towards. And it's the place where you say, you know what, God? I'm going to continue to trust you with my money. Now, I have never in my life given a sermon on going to the gym because I don't go rarely, right? I try really hard not to talk about things that I don't do. I'm not going to talk to you about losing weight. I'm not very good at it. I'm trying, Right? But this is something that I've pointed my feet in in this season of my life because of my buddy Garland. Man, I want my kids, when they think about generosity, to not have to think about anybody else but their daddy. This is important to me. I want my son, as he's getting older, he just turned four, as Luke's getting older and he can see more and more, I want him to ask me questions about, Daddy, why did you just give that? Oh, that's important for me, for my kids to see this. Several years ago, Dan Sutherland, pastor of Westside Family, having a conversation in the conversation. He said, yeah, years ago, me and Mary, his wife, we decided to begin to give one uh, more percentage every year. And I thought that was interesting. And we weren't even talking about money. It just kind of got brought up in some weird way. And I went home that night and I said, hey, Jen, what do you think about this? What if every year we increased our giving by one percentage? I'm pulling back the curtain on the Miller family. This is not Pastor Matt. This is like if if I got fired tomorrow or if I left, this doesn't change in my life. Because I want extravagant giver has nothing to do about being a pastor, about me somehow being on this side of the stage and you being out there. This is about being a follower of Jesus, which I am also. And I said, hey, babe, what would it look like for you and I to begin to increase our giving a percentage? And she said, well, let's just just do it, see what happens. That was five years ago. So when you're like, Matt, what do you guys give? 15% of every dollar I make goes towards generosity. The first 10% to New City Church, no questions asked. The remaining 5%, if there's something going on that I want to give to, maybe like I wanted to send some money to the, the people in Nepal who've been devastated by an earthquake, or if my buddy's playing a church in Minnesota and I want to bless him, or my buddy Kim Hammond, who's in Australia, I want to fund. him. Listen, we'll take that 5% and we'll give it towards that, but only if there's something going on. Normally, that we feel compelled to give to, normally 15% comes right back here to New City Church, and the church does with it as the church pleases. Now, what does this mean for me? I'll give you a real example. Some of you know this and you're going to laugh. It means I don't have this blue Jeep that I want right now. Now, there's a stinker that goes to the bar right here that has the blue Jeep I want. And if you're him, you're really parked somewhere else, right? (laughs) Because I leave on most Sundays or most days after work in this blue, beautiful polar edition Jeep is right there. And I'm telling you, I'd look really good with the wind blowing through my beard and that baby, right? (laughs) And here's the deal. The Miller family can afford that Jeep. We can afford it. My wife is super smart financially. We don't have a lot of debt. We can afford that Jeep. However, we're not stupid rich. We can't afford that Jeep and be an extravagant giver. And right now in my life, that Jeep doesn't win. Now, one day, I'm going to have that Jeep. You need to know that. And when you see it, don't think, oh, Matt's a sinner and he's not giving anymore. No, 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 no. We're saving towards that. There will be a day. When I have my four-door soft-top Jeep, but you won't even know it's a Jeep because the top won't be on and the doors won't be on it. And if you have a Jeep and it's beautiful it is outside and I see you with a soft top and I see you with your top on and your doors on it, I get mad at you. I get mad at you because I'm like, take your top off. And I shouted at a lady the other day in the Jeep and she looked at me real funny. <laughs> but I, I just, I'm, that's a joke. But um, it just irks me to see people in a Jeep in this beautiful weather with the tops on and the doors on. I'm like, come on, you're killing me. One day, right? I'm positioning myself where I get to be that. And look really good in a Jeep. Here's the deal. Okay, most times we're not even here, but we got the Jeep. Following Christ, again, big capital J Jesus, is not about you, it's about God and others. You see those wristbands that say, I am second? That's a big miss. I am third. God first, other second, and you always come in third place. And if you're married and you have kids, guess what? Fourth, fifth, you're going down the line. <laughs> Guys, position yourself to where you take steps towards generosity. I'm telling you, until you're comfortable giving here, bless somebody with it. But I pray and I hope that you see how New City Church is taking your resources and using them to be a blessing to our community, like old Shawnee days. I pray that you see that. But if there's ever any questions about what we do or why we do it, man, I'm, listen, there's no question that I will run from on that because I believe in what we're doing. I hope this has been helpful for you today. I hope it has been beneficial to you. I'm not forcing you. I'm simply inviting you into this generous relationship with our great, great Jesus. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you for today. And um, I pray that... Um, I didn't make the money conversation weird, but I made it spiritual, Father. God, it is a spiritual act, and I pray that people would see it. God, may resources not be a a point of fighting or arguing any longer in the lives of our people because they're trusting you with how they do with it. So, God, um, bless us, and it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.